Well, this morning we'll be in we'll be back in Mark chapter six. We'll be looking at verses thirty to to forty four. As I said, we'll be looking at a familiar passage. Uh, we'll be looking uh, at the feeding of the five thousand, one of the most famous miracles of Jesus's ministry. And this one is actually recorded by all four of the gospel writers. For the first time in in going through Mark, the book of John now runs parallel with all the synoptics. Now, as we've been working through Mark, let's let's take a moment before we get into the passages here and, and remind ourselves of some of the context of where we've been. In, in the beginning of Mark 6, Jesus returns to Nazareth, Nazareth and is rejected by the townspeople there. Then in verse 7, he sends out the 12 to go in the surrounding area, to go proclaim his, the, the, the message, his message of repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Not only to preach, but to uh, cast out demons and to heal the sick as well which they do. Mark then gives us an, uh, an interlude here, an interruption, and, and reminds us that Herod is still on the scene, that Herod is still there, that, and Jesus' ministry is now gaining his attention, and that Herod is the one that executed John the Baptist. So now as we pick up in verse 30, we actually reconnect with where we left off in verse 13. Uh, Verse 13 says, And they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. If we jump all the way down to 30, we pick up, Then the apostles gathered to Jesus and told them all things, both what they had done and what they had taught. Verse 30 picks up right after verse 13. He doesn't go into the details of, of their ministry, Just gives us a brief synopsis there in verse 13. And then in verse 30, we pick up again with the narrative, they've returned. So let's uh, let's quickly read through our passage here, and then we will uh, go go into this familiar passage. Starting in verse 30, then the apostles gathered to Jesus and told them all things, both what they had done and what they had taught. And he said to them, come aside to yourselves to a deserted place and rest a while. For there were many coming and going, and they did not even have time to eat. So they departed to a deserted place in a boat by themselves. But the multitude saw them departing, and many knew him and ran there on foot from all the cities. They arrived before them and came together to him. And Jesus, when he came out, saw a great multitude and was moved with compassion for them because they were like sheep, not having a shepherd. So he began to teach them many things. When the, days were now, when the day was now far spent, his disciples came to him and said, this is a deserted place and already the hour is late. Send them away that they may go into the surrounding country and villages and, and buy them buy themselves bread, that they may eat something, for they have nothing to eat. Excuse me. But he answered and said to them, you give them something to eat. And they said to him, shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give them something to eat? But he said to them, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they found out, they said five and two fish. Then he commanded them to make Make them all sit down in groups on the green grass. 
So they sat down in ranks, in hundreds and fifties. And when he had taken the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven, blessed and broke the loaves, and gave them to his disciples, and set before them, or to set before them. And the two fish he divided among them all. So they all ate and were filled. And they took up twelve baskets full of fragments and of the fish. Now those who had eaten the loaves were about 5,000 men. We're going to start back in verses 30 and 32 where we see the caring Lord. The caring Lord. I'll be honest, I tried to alliterate. It just didn't work. (laughs) But we have first, we have caring Lord in verses 30 and 32. Now as I mentioned earlier, verse 30 picks up, returns the narrative of Jesus sending the disciples out on the assignment that he had given them. They have returned and they report back all that they did, all that they taught. They return and report what had happened. In verse 31, we see, we see Jesus showing again practical care. There are many times we... we we sometimes focus on the, the miraculous side, which is important because of what, who Jesus is and what his ministry is. And a lot of times those, those come in impractical ways. But Jesus is often very practical. And here is, another, is one of those examples. He shows practical care for the 12. He wants all of them, all the 12 time to rest and to have something to eat away from the crowds. Verse 31 tells us that there were many coming and going. The idea is that there were visitors, groups of visitors that kept coming to see Jesus. It's likely they met back at Capernaum. That's, that's kind of the idea of where they returned. Capernaum was, was Jesus' uh, base when operating in Galilee. So it's possible, it was likely that they all returned to meet there. And groups of visitors kept coming to Jesus. One would leave, another would show up. This means that the 12 were, were, they got back from their ministry trip and then were immediately assisting Jesus. They were busy. Busy enough, Mark tells us, that they didn't even have time to rest or eat a meal. So the Lord has compassion on them. It's not brought out. It doesn't say that. But he says, come aside by yourselves to a deserted place and rest a while. The Lord is concerned that they had time to rest and refresh. The Lord is concerned that we have time to rest and refresh and to care for ourselves. Six days you shall work, and on the seventh rest. That's why the Lord established the Sabbath back with creation, and why the Sabbath was created for the Jews, to have that time of rest. And we should note that this wasn't an end of their work. He said, all right, good job, guys, great. We're going to go over rest, and you guys don't have any more work to do. No, it was... We're going to take a break. We're going to rest. We'll refresh. Their work 
wasn't at an end or how neither was his ministry or how they assisted him, but it was a time to rest before continuing in the work of the ministry. Matthew 14, one of the parallels, tells us that part of the desire to get away to a deserted place was that Jesus was just informed of John the Baptist's death by his disciples. That John's disciples had just informed Jesus in the immediately preceding verses that John had been killed. Now, verse 32 tells us that they left by boat. And this is part of why we conclude they were back at Capernaum. Um, and, or, and very possibly they were, they were meeting by the seashore again. They maybe, maybe already are trying to get a little bit away from town and people, but people just kept coming and going. This may be the same boat that was used back in chapter 5 when they, when they crossed to the region of the Gerasenes and, uh, with the storm that Christ calmed. So the 13 of them leave by themselves to the other side in the boat, to the other side of the lake. Luke 9 tells us that they go towards a town called Bethsaida. Uh, now this is a different town called Bethsaida. This is a town on the other side of the Sea of Galilee, the Lake of Galilee, more towards the northern part, just on the other side of the, the Jordan feeding into the, to the Lake of Galilee. This city is also known as Bethsaida Julius. This is out of Herod Antipas's region and in the region of his brother, Philip the Tetrarch. So not only is it, let's just go over and get away from the people, he's leaving Herod's region. He goes over to a deserted area. Well, this brings us back into to verse 33. But the multitude saw them departing. Many knew him and ran there on foot from all the cities. And they arrived before them and came together to him. We see in verses 33 to 36, we see the compassionate shepherd. The compassionate shepherd. It seems likely that Jesus and the disciples maybe, maybe left early the following morning, maybe just after daybreak. But it was light enough to be seen. Now, if they were in Capernaum, it seems likely that they were that there was always someone who just had an eye on Jesus. Not that they were you know, being watched maliciously, but did you, where's Jesus? Did you, did you hear where Jesus is? Everyone was just kind of keeping their eyes open. And if he had been away from Capernaum for a while and now returned home, they were likely to, wanted to see what he was going to do and, and, and hear from him. But, so they were constantly keeping an eye on his, on his movements, noticing his movements, and especially since he and the 12 had just returned. Now, whoever and how many people saw Jesus leaving, we, we don't know. Someone, some saw them, recognized them, but enough recognized that they were leaving to cause a stir and arouse many people to follow after them. 
and likely noting where they were heading. Now, Mark says that the people ran on foot through all the cities, likely heading up, up along the north side of the shore, the north shore of the lake. Then when they raced through the towns, many more joined them. Now, straight across from Capernaum to the other side would have likely been about four miles for the boat. And going on foot up and around likely would have easily doubled that distance. But it seems that Jesus' boat was going at a slower pace, either with no or little wind or even a, a counterwind, that they were heading into a, going into a headwind that they're maybe trying to row against. Because many on foot got to, to the destination before Jesus did in the boat. John 6 tells us that, the, that Jesus was being followed because the people had, had seen the signs that he was performing, the, the miracles and the, of the healing that he was doing. And many of them get to their destination before Jesus do, before Jesus and the, and the others do. And we see that his continued concern for the people. Jesus sees the people when he gets off the boat. Now, likely the whole crowd didn't beat the boat across. Probably, likely some of the, some of the, the younger, stronger ones that were able to run ahead got there. We don't know how many that was. But John tells us that upon arriving on the, on the shore, Jesus and the 12 immediately head up a mountains, a hillside, and sit down. Jesus sitting seems to show that his willingness to wait for the crowd to gather. John also tells us that after Jesus and the 12 see the crowd, that Jesus asks Philip where they could buy food to feed the crowd. And we'll, we'll come back to that in a little bit. But Mark may, makes an interesting comment here. It says, when he saw, when he came out, he saw a great multitude and was moved with compassion for them because they were like sheep, not having a shepherd. Mark tells us that Jesus was moved with compassion. This isn't the first time Mark tells us that Jesus sees uh, an individual or a group of the people and is moved with compassion or has compassion on them. But Mark alone here tells us Jesus is Reason for his compassion. For they were like sheep not having a shepherd. Well, what does this phrase mean? What does this mean? This is likely an allusion back to Old Testament references. This is an Old Testament allusion to the nation of Israel and its unfaithful and corrupt kings and priests. But it's also allusion back to Moses' plea for a leader to replace him at the right time. I'm going to read several verses here. Numbers 27, verses 16 to 17. This is Moses praying, and he says, let, let the Lord, the God of the spirits of all flesh, appoint a man over the congregation who shall go out before them and come in before them. 
who shall lead them out and bring them in, that the congregation of the Lord may not be as sheep that have no shepherd. 1 Kings 22, verse 17. Now, this is in the middle of a middle of account. This is back with Ahab. This isn't Elijah, but it's another prophet. And this prophet, and he says, and I saw all Israel scattered on the mountains as sheep that have no shepherd. And the Lord said, they have no master. Let each return to his home in peace. Now, in the context they're saying, hey, no, they shouldn't go out to war. They have no master. Let them go home. Jumping into Ezekiel 34, verses 5 to 8. Ezekiel, uh, Ezekiel says here, So they were scattered because there, were, there was no shepherd, and they became food for all the wild beasts. My sheep were scattered. They wandered over all the mountains on every high hill. My sheep were scattered over all the face of the earth and none to search or seek for them. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. As I live, declares the Lord God, surely because my sheep have become prey and my sheep have become food for all the wild beasts since there was no shepherd and because my shepherds have not searched for my sheep, but the shepherds have fed themselves and have not fed my sheep. The Lord is calling out the corrupted priests and kings that did not take care of the people Zechariah chapter 10, verse 2. For the household gods utter nonsense and the diviners see lies. They all tell false dreams and give empty consolation. Therefore, the people wander like sheep. They are afflicted for a lack of a shepherd. Jesus, being the good shepherd, had compassion on these scattered sheep. One author says that the image portrays them as helpless, lacking nourishment, guidance, and protection, exposed to the perils of dispersion and destruction. He saw that the religious leaders did not meet the spiritual needs of the people. He had compassion on the multitude, for they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began to teach the people. Matthew and Luke both record that Jesus also healed the sick. The good shepherd was feeding their souls and restoring their health. Now, despite his and likely the twelve's weariness and need for time, Jesus still ministered to the people. Now, as we, we get on a little bit further, we, we have a glimpse of the 12's compassion. And when I first was looking at this, I, I wrote the 12's compassion question mark. But I think there is a, a, a level of true concern here from them. Now, the day goes on. Jesus is teaching and healing but as the day finally progresses, the question that he posed to Philip has been discussed among the twelve. Where are we? Remember, Jesus asked Philip, where can we go buy bread for these people? 
This has been probably been discussed among the 12 as the day has been going on. Now, it seems to really have become a concern. I think here there is a level of compassion or concern for the people of the crowd from the 12. But their concern was likely from natural considerations, not from faith. They have discussed and have come to no better solution than the crowd being dismissed. They need to go home and get their own food. So they make the suggestion to Jesus, let them be sent away so they can go eat, this, eat something. They make this suggestion to Jesus, possibly interrupting his teaching, or they waited for him to, to finish a healing encounter, and they say, uh, Jesus, you should dismiss them. They anxiously bring their suggestion to Jesus as they seem to assume that Jesus had forgotten that the crowd came together hastily and without preparation, without preparation for a long day. And now the hour was growing late. Now, it, it's been suggested that this may have been early or mid-afternoon, well before nightfall, but late enough that the people should be considering heading home. So they suggest the people be dismissed so they can, so they can go through the countryside, go into the, to go into the other villages around, finding fields, going to the villages, finding markets to buy some food before it gets too late. Their suggestion was that the people should go and care for themselves. The 12 weren't the developed leaders yet. They weren't fully faithful under-shepherds of the great shepherd yet. This brings us to verse 37. But he answered them and said, you give them something to eat. You give them something to eat. So our last uh, item here, verses 37 to 44, here's where I tried to make it alliterated. It just wouldn't work. We have the providing Lord. Verses 37 to 44, we have the providing Lord. Jesus' reply to the disciples was certainly not what they expected. Jesus tells the 12 that they need to give the crowd something to eat. It wasn't only a command, an imperative statement, but he was emphatic about it. We can't see it in, uh, in, in the English real well because of how we have to separate words and have the pronoun and the verb, where a lot of that is combined in the Greek wording. But in verse uh, 37, a little more literal rendering of that statement would be, you yourselves give them to eat. The you of you give is built into the verb, but he specifically said he added that other pronoun, you. He's, in, he's 
placing the emphasis on that extra pronoun, you yourselves give them to eat. By adding that extra pronoun, he adds the emphasis and places the responsibility squarely on the shoulders of the 12. Matthew's account tells us first that he countermands their suggestion by first saying that there's no need for the crowd to go away. Matthew 14, verse six, but Jesus said, they do not need, they need not to go away. You give them something to eat. John mentions that when Jesus, Jesus gave that question to Philip, that it was to test him. Jesus may have been testing the 12. John also mentions that Jesus already knew what he was going to do. He asked that question to Philip to test him for he already knew what he was going to do showing again that Jesus was not caught unaware of what happens. The disciples, likely in a bit of shock and surprise, replied with the question, should we go buy 200 denarii worth of bread? Now, you'll remember, we talked about this last week, a single denarius was a daily wage for the average worker. John 6 tells us that Philip, being the one that Jesus asked specifically, was the one to respond and brought that, question, uh, that, that number. And he gives the same number. Would 200 denarii be enough to work for this? So it was likely Philip that spoke up here. Now, Mark and John are the only two of the four Gospels to very specifically mention this dollar amount. <laughs> now, the disciples didn't have 200 days, roughly eight months worth of salary on hand with them. They didn't exactly make money on that ministry trip they just went on. Matter of fact, they were told not to take much of any money with them and not to charge anything of anybody. One source indicates that Philip's number was likely conservative to provide a moderate amount of food to every individual. I did a little bit of quick math trying to figure this. So figuring $7.25 an hour for eight hours a day, that figures out to be about $58 a day. <clears throat> Figuring eight months at $58 at 30 days a month works about, or sorry, eight months at 30 days a month is about 240. 240 at $58 a day is about $13,920. That works out to around $2.78 per person out of a crowd of 5,000. Yeah. I figure likely that number was a bit conservative. Jesus responds to their question with another question and a command. In verse 38, he says, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. The command go and see is only recorded in Mark. 
but it is clear the disciples were to go among the crowd to see if anybody had any food with them. It seems clear in John that they did this, walking among the crowd, calling out, asking if anybody had any food. Now, this may have caused the people to realize that they had been with Jesus most of the day and hadn't eaten most of the day. All four of the Gospels include the exact same amount of food that was found and brought to Jesus. Five loaves of bread, likely flat barley loaves, and two small fish. John is the only one to record that Andrew tells of the young boy having the small meal. Matthew records that Jesus asked the food be brought to him. This likely shows that shows his willingness to feed the crowd with such a small amount indicates that something miraculous was going to happen. Or at least something was about to happen. Jesus tells the 12 to have the people sit down in groups. Now Mark adds, Mark alone adds an odd, eh, not odd, but a small detail of color. Mark records that the people should sit in groups on the green grass. That doesn't sound really odd, does it? Matthew and Mark both record that the matter of sitting on grass, but not the description of green. This seems to indicate a time frame of spring. Because after, after rain, you had a few short months where everything was green. Middle of May, after May... That grass was not green any longer in that, in that region because of that summer climate. Now, this corresponds with John mentioning in chapter 6 of his that the Passover was coming up. And Passover is always spring. The people willingly sit down. Actually, it's kind of the idea of the wording actually references dropping down. They just kind of plop down. Uh, But they sit in groups of 50s and 100s. Now, some have tried to determine how they sat in semicircles or in how those 50s and 100s were grouped. I don't think that's really important. They were sitting in groups of 50s and 100s. Although one source did note, and I think it's, it's... It's worth mentioning here that it's similar, sitting in groups of 50s and 100s, it's similar to how Moses divided the people for the judges who were to assist him in Exodus 18. Some were over 50s, some were over 100s, some over 1,000s, up to Moses. He had them sit in groups of 50s and 100s. Now, Mark again adds a unique detail but it doesn't really come through in English very well. Verse verse 40, so they sat down in ranks. That English word ranks literally refers to a garden bed. 
it implies that to the spectator, the groups of people sitting looked like well-arranged plots of gardens, peppering the hillside. It may even be a reference to the, to the varying colors that the people were wearing. But it, it's an odd and unique reference specific to Mark. And this is the only place that word is used. Uh, but, it's, but it's another unique item that we see here. Now that they've sat down, Jesus enables the 12 to serve. Jesus takes the food, the small basket of food that the boy had. He lifts his head towards heaven to bless it. This is likely a common Jewish prayer that was said before meals. Likely one that's, that's still said today. Likely, blessed are you, O Lord our God, ruler of the universe, who brings forth bread from the earth. It's interesting to note that the same process or pattern is used here that Jesus uses at the Last Supper in 14, chapter 14, verse 22, when he institutes the Lord's table. It is taken, he blessed it, and he broke. The same pattern, we see the same pattern again. Dividing the bread, he began to give it to the disciples to give to the crowd. Jesus has now enabled the 12 to serve and to fulfill that original command of, you give them something to eat. He's enabling them. He is providing the resources for them to fulfill his command. None of the Gospels say where the multiplication of the food occurred, but it presumably happened in Jesus' hands. As he was dividing, they just kept appearing. And he was likely giving each of the disciples an armful of food, sending them out. The twelve then make trip after trip among the crowd, handing out food that could only be coming through a miracle of Jesus. Verse 42 tells us that all ate until they were full. Now, obviously, the crowd is being referred to here, but remember the beginning of the passage? Verse 31. And he said to them, Come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while, for many were coming and going that they had no leisure even to eat. I think this may include the 12 as well. All ate until they were full. Mark mentions almost as an afterthought that there were about 5,000 men in the crowd. Matthew mentions that this number was beside the number of women and children. Uh, it, they likely sat in groups, the women and children likely sat in groups separate from the men. It was a customary thing to do. Uh, and or there may not have been as many women and children present. We don't, don't know for sure. Matthew records that there are at least some there. So 
So there was at least 5,000, a little over 5,000 people there. But now the, the 12 are assigned again, following the meal, to go pick up the leftovers. They pick up 12 baskets worth of fragments. These fragments were likely uneaten leftovers or, or leftovers from Jesus' provision of dividing the food. Mark also notes that, a, that it wasn't just fragments of bread, but fish too. Now, all four of the Gospels use the exact same word for baskets in this account. We don't know exactly for sure how large these baskets were, but at least one suggestion is that these baskets were likely similar to whatever that boy had. Probably a, a woven, maybe reed woven basket, likely something fairly small and common to travel with holding about one and a quarter to two and a half gallons. And they filled up 12 of these worth of food. I think it is likely that Jesus didn't provide too much, but enough to provide for each of the 12 to have their lunchbox full providing the 12 with maybe at least one more meal, each of them. He provided enough, like the oil provided for the widow in 2 Kings 4. Enough food was provided for everyone to be filled and the right amount for each of the 12. Now, we have an obvious account that the Lord will provide here. But we also see that he will provide and enable his disciples and servants to do what he has for them to do. He doesn't send disciples and servants out without giving them the ability to do. We see Christ here as the good shepherd. He not only satisfied the physical need for food for the crowd and uh, the physical rest and need of food for the 12, but he also fed their souls through his teaching and healing. As I was preparing, I was reminded this week of Psalm 23. And I'm going to close by reading Psalm 23, but I'm going to read it from a, a, a modern version, so it's going to sound just a little different. But as I read the psalm, be thinking of how the Lord has been your shepherd or has enabled you to better minister in his service. Psalm 23, a psalm of David. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. 
my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Let's close with a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for the reminder we have, not only in this passage, this familiar passage of Christ feeding the 5,000, but even the reminders and the truths that we see in that psalm, a psalm familiar to all of us here, one many of us probably memorized. Lord, the truths of that, you are our shepherd. Often we see the sheep, we see sheep like is recorded in Isaiah 53. We have all just wandered away. But Lord, that, that verse, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You guide us and direct us. You correct us. You care for us. You bring us to a place where we can rest and refresh. You provide us food. You provide us shelter. You provide us protection in times of distress. You provide us comfort. And Lord, you even, as we seek to serve you, you even enable us to serve you. You don't send us out empty-handed. You tell us to go and you give us the tools needed to go. You give us the word that we should go with. And even if we are fearful and anxious, you are there to protect us and strengthen us. Help us as we seek to be better disciples, to be better servants, following after you. Help us to remember that you are our shepherd and that you are near us, guiding us. But help us to listen. Help us to listen to, and to, to be observant to see how you may be guiding and directing us. And help us not to fear. Father, we thank you and we love you. We pray these things in the name of your Son and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.